Hello, friends. You're listening to the Sound Off Podcast. My name is Nate Laux, and I'm your host. Sound Off is a community conversation show that airs each Monday and Friday live on 96.7 The Eagle in LaPorte, Indiana. And while podcasts don't allow for live interaction, we are still grateful to have you listening and engaged. So please help us out by subscribing and rating the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. Share the podcast with your friends and enjoy today's conversation. Welcome to this podcast of Sound Off from January 21st, 2022 with your host, Nate Lauks. Today, Nate's guest is State Senator Mike Buhacek. Now here's your host, Pastor Nate Lauks. Welcome, friends. I'm glad to have you today on Sound Off. Today's Friday, January 21st, already moving through the month of January very quickly. Uh, I hope you're staying warm, being safe on the roads. Uh, just glad to have you on the show today. We've got State Senator Mike Bahachik on the show today, and we're going to talk a little bit about what he's got as a plan for his legislative agenda down. They've got a short session in the state legislature, but he's got some some bills that I've read that I'm very excited about to talk about. It's an honor to have you here today, Senator. How are you? Doing real well. Doing real well. So you, you got to go back down to the legislative session. When you go down there, is it like a, a, a big party, you know, a lot of like... Um, Bring your sleeping bags and let's let's have a good time. Uh, I wouldn't call it a party. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I, 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 I'm sure there's some that uh, can easily treat it that way if uh, if you want to. It's like anything else. But uh, no, it's it's trying to do a lot of hard work, trying to get some stuff done that uh, to make the community better and to address some specific uh, issues. And uh, this is a non-budget year, so we're not dealing with chasing money like we have in the past. You know, last year we had a really good, successful budget year for LaPorte County. We were able to get uh, half a million, or half a, close to a half a billion to rebuild Westfield Prison uh, on site, which is not like structured jobs, but keeping those positions here as, as well, uh, a little bit further to the east. We were able to get, uh, uh, finally get uh, 25 million to build an inn at Potato Creek. Yep. And then that on top of all of the additional uh, you know, in-dot revenue we continue to see shoved up here, it's, uh, it's been, you know, we've been really successful. So for our listeners that might not know, every other year is a longer legislative year for our, our legislators. And those are the long years, our budget years. And it takes a lot of time to work out budgets because again, the Indiana state budget is, is, is expansive and lots of going on there. So tell me a little bit, uh, what are some of the things that you're looking for in this legislative session? I read through your bills last night. You can go online and you can see your bills. Uh, some interesting ones in there. I, I was interested in some of your environmental bills. Uh, you've got some, some other bills uh, that we were just talking about before the show on different uh, school bus things, but what are some of the bills that you're excited about and that you're, you're passionate about? You know, about? probably the, the one, and, it, and, it's, and it, it's, it's coming out of a tragedy uh, for, for a young uh, you know, a child that was, uh, that was killed by his parents after coming out of, um, after coming out of uh, you know, the foster care system with a relative. And, um, you know, the process was followed uh, by DCS as best as I can tell. I mean, it's an ongoing court case, so maybe more comes mm-hmm, on. I don't mm-hmm. know. But um, what we realized is that foster parents don't have standing in the actual, it's called terminal, termination of parental rights. It's the hearing to say, does this kid go back home or does this kid, uh, you know, basically be, be available for adoption? Um, but the parents, or the foster, uh, the foster provider does not have the ability to intervene in the case and become a party to the case. So 
And that's a, that's a problem because in many cases, especially if it's a family caregiver, and remember, if it's a family member that's taking care of that child, they don't get a state stipend. There's no money made available to them. So they're doing it all out of the goodness of their heart and, and to taking care of the relative. Um, well, the other part of this is, is we're going to make sure that foster families do have standing in that case so they can make sure their voice is heard. They can call witnesses. They are part of the case. They can engage counsel, so on and so forth. Well, we know that most of our, you know, we know that our, our, our foster parents that are receiving stipends that aren't relatives are not indigent. We, we you know, they're, they're not. So if they decide to, you know, engage private counsel, then certainly we would hope they would have the means to do that. But for our family caregivers, it's very possible that they are indigent mm-hmm. and do not have the ability to engage counsel. So what we would do with this is on top of giving everybody standing, we would also provide if uh, for this family caregiver an attorney. So we give them access to, to free legal counsel. Um, so that way the best, uh, you know, the best outcome for this child could occur. And I think perhaps in some of these situations when, especially when they end in tragedy, I, th- you know, I think that option would have maybe averted some of these and be able to provide a better voice for the child and, and, and to make sure that that's, the, you know, that, that the, those tragedies don't occur. And, and that's something I've been working through. It's going to be heard next week. Um, I have to make one small change to it, but uh, it's moving along along really well. You know, a lot of times in the, uh, uh, in the short session, we're trying to pick up things that were missed in the long session. So you'll see a lot of, you know, uh, uh, policy kind of stuff. You know, uh, locally here, for instance, you know, there was some issue about what is a uh, who is a relative for purposes of uh, disclosing a contractual relationship or purchasing agreement. So we're going to define that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's side to believe that's set to be heard this coming week, and we're going to say here's the list. Here's here's what you have to disclose because you know you you have to disclose your second cousin by marriage. I mean, are we doing shirt tail relatives or is it? real relatives. Um, so that's kind of a, a, an idea of something that came out here locally. Um, something else too, um, it's, uh, and we had talked about uh, this earlier, but there's a, there's a, there's a drug available to ease uh, withdrawal and it's extremely effective. It's non-opioid based and um, it's Medicaid approved, but there's this, uh, you know, there's a prior authorization required, which is you know, they were from two to seven days. And as we had discussed earlier, when folks are ready to say they've had enough and they've hit bottom, that window of opportunity to get them engaged in service is pretty small. And seven days or so for a prior auth, that's you're out of the window and they're just going to abandon that prescription and they're not going to start the process because it's a regiment. You know, you have to, you know, you have to be drug free, you have to be through detox. Uh, before you can receive a, an opioid antagonist like Vivitrol, which is the 30-day shot that renders opioid use uh, 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 ineffective. So, you know, we're trying to get that off. What's that drug called? Do you remember? Yeah, you know, I don't remember. It begins with an L and, and I, it's okay. the names I, you know, I, I just wish yeah. that with drugs, we would just number them all. <laughs> so now we'd be on drug number one, you know, yeah, yeah, 13,421 exactly. version B. But it wouldn't look good on a coffee mug, it's a true. pen. It's true, yeah. Uh, or yeah. the commercials. Uh, you know, right. one of the things, though, again, I, I appreciate about this bill is, as we know, this isn't debated. We know with people that are addicted, and we, we certainly have that issue. We, we see drug overdoses in our community a lot. We've got a lot of our listeners that are concerned about this. There is a short window a lot of times, right? right. And, and that short window is the, the difference sometimes between 
getting their life back on track and getting mm-hmm. saved. And so uh, getting some of these hurdles out of the way to get them on this drug, hopefully, right. that will help is a big deal, right? Yeah. I mean, any, you know, anything we can use because, you know, and, and the state, when we look at the cost of something, um, it's it's kind of, it seems a little strange because you know that uh, if we provide this drug, we're going to keep folks from ODing, which keeps them out of the emergency room, which saves money. But at the state level, we don't look at what is a soft savings. Yep. It's got to be, you know, what is the hard cost? And we have to be able to quantify it 100% because otherwise, it may seem a little frustrating because I just saw you roll your eyes because because it can <laughs> it be is frustrating but, because, because you know it is, but we just can't, it, it doesn't work that way yep. because what if the savings don't come in? Yep. Uh, so uh, it's 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 as frustrating to me as it's, as, as it, it appears to be to you, but that's just locally. For in, for instance, our problem solving court, these kind of things, right? You've got these upfront costs to, to manage a staff, but we know that when people don't go back into the court system, we save money, right? But like you said, these these aren't hard costs, right? right. These are projected. So it's, not, costs. It's, not, it's not it's not hard savings. I mean, and, it's, and they right. don't they don't appear in a budget, right? Right. So. All right, we've got a couple questions. If you've got a question for State Senator Mike Bahachik, the Liquor Vault on airline is 209-362-0522. You're welcome to call me or text me. I'd love to hear from you today. Um, here's a question I've received through Facebook. A few bills in the Indiana State or Indiana Senate and House specifically named social emotional learning as harmful and should be banned from public education. Can you explain more to our educators listening to the Senate's issues with social emotional learning and why so many people seem to want to ban it? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, uh, I I think what we get into, um, and you're asking me what I'm seeing from my counterparts, yep, yep. Um, is... You, you, for, for, for our listeners, you don't have a bill on this. No, I do yeah. not have a bill on this. I, I think a lot of folks are, are most concerned that, uh, that our educators are uh, sharing opinions and trying to, you know, change the opinions of children on what are, what could be subjective topics. And... I don't feel our teachers are doing that. Um, I have school age kids. I've I, I I don't feel that. I don't think we should be trying to legislate around that with with the with the back end topic. Um, you know, we've have the critical race theory issue popping up, and you know, you look at it, and you know, it it, it but, but it's a theory. It's not. I mean, I think it's kind of gotten a little bit overblown, and I have not seen that in any course syllabus yet. I know it's a college level class. Can be, yeah, can exactly. be, yeah. But I've not seen it in K twelve, um, and the state creates the curriculum. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, that's the that's yeah, the interesting thing, right? <laughs> if if the state creates the curriculum and the state says it's not in there, then it's really not in there, and you're right? not teaching it. And I think a lot of parents want access to be able to look at the curriculum, and they already can do that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like I'm not an educator. When I've talked to some of my principal and superintendents, I said, have you ever had a parent come in and want to go through their child's curriculum and? No, I haven't. And but they can. So I, I think that's what we're. Well, I think what, I think that's kind of a little bit of a fear is, you know, uh, are our kids being indoctrinated by educators or are they not? And how do we get around this? And to me, I don't see it as a problem. So in, in, in the way that I look at it, could, could not. <laughs> Couldn't most of these issues that I'm reading, um, you know, because again, you, you do sometimes hear these this crazy teacher in some school district, oh. but can't some of these issues just be handled on the school district level? Yeah, you would think um, because you're right. I think these are more outlier situations, and uh, you know, and, and even for purposes of curriculum, I know one of these bills uh, wanted uh, teachers lesson plans on a weekly basis, the week before, yeah. which I mean, we're putting so much. I mean, how much more, you know, useless burdens we want to put on our teachers? I think it's kind of you know kind of pointless. But 
you know, and you know, but the most effective and creative teachers have a tendency to bring current events into the classroom. And, you know, you can be talking about, you know, uh, uh, you know, a history class and then something that's you know, topical that's in current conversation comes up. And it's good when teachers bring that into the yep. conversation and let children form their own opinions and but give them the form to do that. Yep. And my my fear is, is that when we do things like this, we can stifle that creativity. And I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, that weird thing where you don't want educators to be afraid to talk either. Right. Um, and to engage in, in different things. Well, we've got State Senator Mike Bahachik on the show. We're going to take our first break and we've got some callers. We've got I see your calls. We're going to get to you as soon as we get back. Keep listening to 96.7 The Eagle. Welcome back, Sound Off listeners. Glad to have you on the show today. We've got Mike Bahachik, our state senator here on the show, answering your questions, talking about the legislative session that he's in. I am happy to report they did not have a slumber party when he went back down uh, for the state legislative session, but they are working on some things. Let's get to some callers. Hey, thanks for listening to Sound Off. We've got state senator Mike Bahachik on the show. What's your question? Hi, Senator. Um, I'm calling in reference to a beautiful congratulatory certificate I received last month, and I phoned your office to say thank you, but when I heard you were going to be on the sound off today, I wanted to personally call in and say thank you. That was uh, one of the nicest gestures I've received in a long time, and it couldn't have come at a better time. I was really down and out, and I got that uh, certificate, and uh it's I'm probably displaying it on my wall at this point. <laughs> well, you're 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 very very welcome. Um, you what know, was the certificate for? I turned seventy years old, and uh, I didn't know what generated that other than possibly the the uh, almost twenty nine years of service I gave to the state of Indiana. So I thought that the state probably forgot me when I retired. <laughs> <laughs> I see now that they haven't. So well, <laughs> anyhow, well, well, good. I'm, I'm glad to reach you in time. Oh, it got here two days before my birthday, and I, I couldn't believe it. My son come over, and uh, uh, you know he's a younger fella, and he's got one of these iPhones. And first off, he had to have a picture of it. So I imagine it went on Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on social media, but. Uh, Anyhow, I truly appreciate that, and it's uh, just uh, a beautiful certificate, and to know that someone uh, remembers me, even like I say, uh, I retired back in 2014, but uh, anyhow, just thank you so much. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. All right, let's get to another caller. Hey, thanks so much for waiting. Thanks for calling. What's your question for State Senator Mike Mahajic? Thank you for coming on, Senator. My, My issues contend with local government and elections is there any possibility in the future where you guys are going to make these full-time elected come to their office every single day be the last one in to turn the lights on last one to leave turn the lights off take a bag of trash with them we've got offices across the entire state that are just ignoring and shirking their duties and that's all there is there's no excuse for it period say shirking their duties and the other end of it is there any way to get some kind of election reform? We don't have to pay homage and offer up our firstborn child to either one of the two major parties. Or if you want to run as a candidate in the independent cycle to bring us some better qualified leadership where we don't have to file endless paperwork and endless petition process. A ballot, electronic ballot, does not cost to print, to add a name to it. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, well... Um 
Uh, let's, let's tackle the first question first. So um, Indiana is kind of a tough state uh, with, with elected officials to remove them and force them to do their jobs. Um, when I was a county commissioner back in, I served a you know, term and a half, before I went to the Senate, um, I filed a, it's called a writ of mandamus action, and that was to force the county assessor to do her, uh, the assessor to do her statutorial job because she was not hearing tax appeals because that was the only remedy. The, the state created a remedy for removal of an assessor. Um, we now have, re, uh, there was a bill passed last year that revolved around, I believe it was the Lake County recorder for this very situation not coming into the office. So there, there is a process available now. Um, we are working, uh, there was a bill, we just heard it yesterday, uh, for a process to do the same thing with township trustees that are not working. You know, we have a situation where we have a trustee that's living in a camper in Florida and still collecting a trustee check at a, uh, at a north, uh, you know, north central east uh, township. So not in LaPorte County, somewhere else in the state. But uh, we are working on that because uh, he's absolutely right. Uh, the election piece, you know, I don't sit on elections. So, um, you know, we have this conversation about uh, major parties. You know, do you have to, why do you have to declare major parties? Why don't we just have free and open elections where everybody just come in, throw their name in, and it's all nonpartisan and vote? Um, it's just not the way we do it. It's right? just not the way we do it. And, um, you know, I don't know. I know that if you're going to be, whether you're a party affiliated candidate or not, I know in my races, I don't, it doesn't require any signatures. Uh, I know for congressional seats and federal seats, it does. And I think that's just to keep the ballot from being too cluttered. On that on that end, because we're, we're talking about elections, I know state former state senator Jim Arnold, who I think you took oh. his position on, uh, uh, is worried about the bill that in the House that would make um, school board elections become partisan elections. Are you for or against that? You know, we have one of those coming across in the uh, uh, in in the Senate as well. Actually, it was the same author, Scott Baldwin, that uh, just had Senate Bill One Sixty Seven that was made news. Yeah, it did certainly make news. certainly got some some not the right kind of news, obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I I do not believe that a school board election should be partisan. Um, I, I I think that's probably the last place for partisanship. And there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, I just think it's it's inappropriate, and that's that's not a you know, politics does not belong anything to do with schools. But the other thing is, is we have folks that serve on those boards that may be military, that may, you know, have some of their uh, their salary that's paid for by the federal government, and if they are, they're exempt by the Hatch Act from serving. So we could lose some great sure. candidates because of doing they're that. Reservists or things like that, right? And I just think people that want to serve on a school board are not doing it for glory or fun they're doing it because it's a calling and they want to give back to their community i can't imagine i've i can't imagine you know, you know senator arnold is and you know is is you know doing it for the glory of being on a school board but um yeah i'll tell you what though he advocates of that school board yeah <laughs> every yeah. time i talk to him it's like he's asking for something <laughs> all right let's get to another caller thanks so much for calling we've got state senator mike bahachik on the show today what's your question for the senator hello Hi. Yeah, what's um, your question? Okay. I didn't know if it was my turn or not. Yep. So my question is about Camp, Camp Atterbury. Um, and if he knows um, what the plans are for the people that were brought into Camp Atterbury, and will they be relocating them throughout the state, or if they have, and if there's a vetting process that's being done just to make sure that, you know, the safety of our, you know, you know his constituents are safe um so that's my concern yep thanks um you know i'm i can give you my opinion on that 
but what I can't do is I don't know specifically. It's not a topic that I've really dealt with. Um, I think that's more of a federal issue. Um, I, I can look into it. I'm sure they're vetting them. Uh, I don't know how the vetting process is going, how fast it is. Uh, I know that we did take some Syrian refugees several years ago, and they did vet them. And so I'm imagining there's a, there's a process for it, but that's just going to be speculation. I don't really have any any information on that, but I can certainly get it. All right. Um, he, here's another question I received. Um, uh, let me read this right. Um, less than 10% of Indiana's energy comes from renewable resources, yet nearly three-quarters of voters favor expanding the use of renewable energy sources, net metering policy, these kind of things. Um, are you in favor of encouraging and doing more for renewable energy in Laporte, or not in Laporte, in Indiana? Yeah, I am. Um, you, you know, but, but it's got to be well planned out where you put this infrastructure. Everybody is for wind and solar, except when you want to put the wind and solar next to their house. So, um, so you know, it, it, it needs to be a measured approach. Um, net metering, for those of you that don't know, if those are primarily for the rooftop solar guys that are putting rooftop solar. And what that basically says is you spin your meter backwards. The, you're putting energy back, back into, into the grid, yep. but you're so you're basically essentially spinning the meter backwards. Yep, yep, yep. The, the problem is, is that when you buy energy, you're not just buying the kilowatt. You're buying the transmission infrastructure. You're buying all that other stuff. And when you spin the meter backwards via net metering, you're selling back at retail. Well, the power company doesn't buy it at retail. They buy it at wholesale cost, and then they put it into their grid, into their network. So. You know, if you think of it this way, if you don't, if you're not doing rooftop solar, and somebody that is, you're actually as a non-solar generator, you're actually subsidizing them. If we do net metering, we phased out net metering. Uh, that was a bill sponsored by Senator Hirschman several years ago, and I think we must be getting close to the phase out, uh, where some folks are starting to think about it. But um, no, I mean we're going to have to find a way to you know to get off of fossil fuels. I mean it's a finite resource; it's not going to be around forever. Um, so we, we do need to transition into it. We see the private sector starting to transition yeah. too, right? So it's obviously something that you, it, it, it's something that uh, it seems like the nation seems to be going towards, right? Now my concern with it though is you know if, if we start mandating you know this is you know uh, uh, cars for instance, we start yeah. mandating electric vehicles, or we start making the price of gas so expensive that you know it's just it, yeah. it forces a market shift to electric vehicles. The problem is is that who is going to be impacted the most on that? It's going to be the poorest of yeah. our society that can't afford the electric vehicle. So, yeah. you know, it's there, we, there's a balance there, right? Well, there's yeah, a, there's you, a phase you, in too. We don't think yeah. about that, right? All right, we've got State Senator Mike Mahachik on the show. The Liquor Vault on air line is 219-362-0522. You're welcome to call me or text me. We're going to take our, our final break of the day, and then we'll get back to some more questions from you. Thank you so much for listening to Sound Off on 96.7 The Eagle. Welcome back to Sound Off to our final segment of the show. Here's a question for you. Ask him about SB 29. Municipalities are only legally allowed to offer the average of two appraisals for a property, but SB 29 requires any property acquired through eminent domain. The owner must be paid 120% of the appraised value. Basically, a municipality will have no leverage to purchase property for anything less than 120% of fair value uh, market, or fair market value rather. Uh, it'll encourage people to force eminent domain, which is really only beneficial to the attorneys and no one else. I don't. I didn't read the bill that way. Um, we heard it in committee uh, several several weeks ago. Um, what we do is, in, in many cases, in eminent domain cases, that I didn't know this. Um, you know, because we're you know, uh, NDOT takes property all the time. Yeah, you know, we're doing it right now in Laporte County on US Highway 20. And you know, the trick is trying to figure out where they find in the comps to determine the value. 
Um, because because right now that right it's it's two comps yes and two, then the right, average of those two, two comps and when these things go to court typically they settle out at about that one twenty ish number, okay. so I think it's an attempt by Senator Buck uh, from Kokomo to reduce court costs because the offers will be more in line to what they should be. Um, it's pro consumer, uh, obviously. I mean, you know, we had cities, towns, municipalities, counties, and INDOT all not so thrilled with the legislation, so it must be pretty good for the taxpayers. Yeah. Um, but, and I think he got, uh, uh, he's involved in it because of the, the US 31 widening and expansion, yeah. so they're taking a lot of property. But I do get calls from eminent domain. I, I got two of them this year complaining about the values, and um, you know, you, you look at some of the logic behind it, and you can see why some folks do end up going to court over it. But um, so yeah, that 120 isn't coming out of nowhere. It's just the essentially yeah, average of what they've discovered yes, was exactly. And then there's no then there's no legal cost involved for the taxpayer. Yep. So all right, we've got Senator Mike Bahachik on the show. Let's get to another caller. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show. What's your question for Senator? Hello there. Hi. Um, my my question is uh, about the 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 permitless gun uh, gun uh, bill that you have. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'd like to say I'm I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, and I've had a permit for many many years. But back when I got mine, you had to be fingerprinted, mugshot, background checked, all of the above. And what I'm wondering is if it's a good idea to create a, 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 the easiest path possible for someone to get a gun without any kind of background checks and and maybe maybe there is a background check that goes with this bill I'm not aware of but I was just wondering what your position was on it and if uh, you think that's a good idea Thank all right you. thanks so much so uh, that was Senate bill 14 and it was this heard in committee it was a lengthy hearing I sit on the committee judiciary that heard it um, so what the bill did is it removed all requirements to carry a handgun as long as you were legally allowed to own a firearm. Uh, I, I had some problems with it. Um, and I mean, I'm a, I'm a two-way supporter. I carry concealed. I mean, you know, I, you know I, I've always been a strong two-way supporter. But my concern with the bill was, uh, is it allowed it for everybody? Well, we forget that if you, have, if you commit a felony, you, you know, you're precluded from owning a firearm, so this wouldn't apply to you. And the cost is $12, and yes, you get fingerprinted, and there's a, and there's a background check as well. But you know, you could have somebody that committed a level six felony, and it was pled down to an aim misdemeanor. That can have happen several times, depending on how severe that felony. Often, right? It happens very. It's 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 a matter of course because once somebody you know has a felony conviction, a lot of bad things happen for them throughout their lives, and so you know we get them reduced down. There's so there's a lot of good reasons to do that, but. What I feel comfortable, you know, walking down the streets of, you know, Indianapolis when I'm down there for the, the, the session, coming back from the state house at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, and, you know, you know, you know here's a bunch of folks mulling around, and, you know, they'd have multiple, multiple misdemeanors potentially, were able to find a gun somewhere, and now they're going to carry it around with them with no background check, with no address. I just don't feel comfortable with it. I mean, somebody, if you commit domestic violence, you're precluded from having a concealed carry permit. Well, if it's pled down to a misdemeanor, mm-hmm. we're not gonna know. Mm-hmm. So, and for law enforcement, law enforcement knows that when they pull you over, they can tell based on your license plate apparently that that, uh, that you have a, a, a you know, the concealed carry permit. And they may or may not ask you if you're carrying your weapon. Um, but 
that gives them at least the knowledge that potentially you do have a firearm with you. And in today's society with, you know, how law enforcement uh, is being scrutinized at every turn and some of the relationships become very volatile between uh, citizens and law enforcement, to add one more stressor into this mix uh, is also something I just don't think we really need at this point. Um, I think if we're, you know, where we're at is okay. Uh, I know it's a very, very hot button issue for a lot of folks. Uh, I would be okay. I could get to okay-ish, I guess, if we said if you committed a misdemeanor, then you would have to go through the process that everybody else had to do before, mm-hmm. which is get fingerprinted, do the background check, and you're fine. But then also remember, and then like I said, and then everybody else who's hasn't doesn't have a misdemeanor, doesn't have a felony, hasn't done anything wrong. You know, carry your firearm. I don't care. But remember, if you leave the state lines and we're so close to Michigan, they will not honor our laws. So if you don't have that concealed carry card with you, you're now committing a felony in Michigan and every other neighboring state as well. Also, other concealed, uh, other open carry states will not honor your status as open carry because you're not from their state. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a lot of benefits to getting a permit. I know folks don't like to like it because they feel like it's an infringement on their rights, but there's some there's a subset of our community that we need to make sure that maybe they're doing it the right way. All right, we've got State Senator Mike Bahachik on the show today. Let's get to another caller. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for calling. What's your question for State Senator Mike Bahachik? Um, good afternoon, gentlemen. Hi. Um, I see uh, Representative Pressel is trying to get a couple of bills passed, him and another one. Um, and it has to do with the cameras. One is for uh, construction. Um, they want to, if you're speeding in a, in a construction zone, I don't, I don't have too much problem with that because a lot of, a lot of them guys are out right on the middle of the road. But the one I have a problem with is um, the the ones for the school zone. And, and they say it's not a money grab, but right away it says, well, the ticket would be like $250 if it's one mile over. And then if you go up to 10 miles, that you get the the the, the camera people still get the more money, but the the state gets less, or the you know the school district, sure. whatever it is. But I, I just don't trust those cameras. I hate them in Chicago. I, I get so nervous driving to the airport on Garfield Boulevard because I'm afraid I'm gonna accidentally run a light because I get stuck in the middle of the intersection. You know? Yeah, the one on Pulaski, uh, the one on Pulaski and Garfield got me uh, about six months ago. So. <laughs> See. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. No, so I, I get more nervous driving. I'm not committing any crime, but I feel so nervous. So I, I, one way I figured out how to do the the, the speed, the, the the ones on the stoplight, you got to look at the sidewalk thing where it tells you to walk or not, and it tells you how many seconds you got left. <laughs> so kind of watch that, and then maybe it'll save you from getting a ticket. But uh, well, I, I'm just I can answer your question for some cameras. Okay. Good news. Uh, the bill for the uh, these are both House bills. I'm in the Senate, so I'm just kind of watching them come over. the uh, The bill involving the uh, school speed zone thing, uh, from every indication, is not going to get a hearing, so that will die. Uh, I believe uh, Representative Pressel's bill is coming to the House floor for a floor vote. I believe that's where that one's at. So just remember what bills start out at and what they turn into are always very different and we're not halfway done yet so once they send us their work and we fix it then we uh then we move on so but uh no thanks i i, I 
saw that bill for, for the school zones, and I was a little bit uh, nervous myself. All right, our final question of the day. Senator SB-167 thankfully died in committee. However, its counterpart, HB-1134, made it out of the House committee. Should the bill pass and come to the Senate? Where do you stand on it and why? I'm going to need to see what the bill looks like when it comes to us, when it gets out of committee, what the amendments look like. Um, like I just said a few seconds ago, what bills start out at and when they clear one chamber is not always what they stay. Um, you know, uh, SB 167, which is very close to the other bill coming across from the House, uh, was basically withdrawn because it had so many problems. So many problems, in fact, that they couldn't fix it. So what we do with the other bill, I don't know yet. You know, are there some components into the bill that I'm could kind of be okay with? Well, a bill does nine things or 10 things. So yeah, there's some pieces that, that I might be okay with. I mean, is, do I think it's a good idea that a school may be able to create a curriculum, uh, a parental curriculum task force of some sort? They could already do it now, but if we wanted to codify that, I probably would have a problem with that. I mean, parents could already look at curriculum. You know, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I, I mean, I just got to look at the bill to see what it turns into. Um, and then I'll probably be able to give you a better opinion of it. But as it was, SB 167, you didn't support. The I did not. Even support, if it would have made it. Through. I would not have supported the bill as it, as it came across. It, it, it was just it, 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 without substantial amending. Uh, I, it was it was probably not going to be. It was, it was, not, it was probably I was not going to support it. Um, I mean, you saw the hearings, yep. uh, you know, seven hours of hearings on one bill. Uh Whenever a bill does nine things, there's always enough in there for somebody not to like, and there was a, a lot. So, all right. Well, this is uh, this is it. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. What do you want our listeners to know? You're not running for re-election right now. This is not a, an I, election, not election year, year for me. No, I, I'm on, I'm on a presidential four-year cycle, so I just ran last year. Um, you know, reach out. Uh, I I really need input from constituents. You know, since everybody is so far north, we don't get visitors, so I don't get a lot of kids at our pages because of the drive, and I appreciate that. But, you know, reach out, call, email, you know, text, however you, I mean, I'm on Facebook, uh, just Mike Bahachek. There's three of us out there. One of them is me, one of them is a school teacher, and I think the other one's a chemical engineer. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. But uh, email my office. I'll give you my direct email as opposed to my uh, set at eight. You know, you can always reach me at set at eight at iga.in.gov or directly to me at mike.bohacek, B-O-H-A-C-E-K, at iga.in.gov. And that comes right to me. So it misses my staff. So if it's a real important issue, please, please do so. All right. Well, I hope you'll come back on the show. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Be, be careful this weekend as the roads still, again, are getting better, but they might be icy in some places. On Monday, we'll be back with uh, Center Township trustee and our neighbor here to the studios, Lisa Pierzakowski. Be good to yourself, be good to others, and keep listening to 96.7 The Eagle. Thank you for joining us and voicing your opinion on this edition of Sound Off. The views on Sound Off are those of the host or callers and do not represent the opinion of 96.7 The Eagle, Spoon River Media LLC, or the sponsors. Sound Off airs every Monday and Friday at 1230. Please mark your calendar and join us again for the next edition of Sound Off on 96.7 The Eagle. Thank you for listening to the Sound Off podcast on 96.7 TheEagle.com.